From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvocate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. I'm Lenny Reinhardt, and today is part one of a two-part series on rural access to justice. I am joined by Mr. Sam Larrabee, an attorney from Michigan's Upper Peninsula. The UP is a quintessential rural area, with about 311,000 people covering over 16,000 square miles. For context, in Chicago that population would comfortably fit in an area bounded by Belmont to the north, Cicero to the west, Roosevelt to the south, and Lake Michigan to the east. An area 16 hundredths of a percent the area of the Upper Peninsula. In terms of access to legal services, Cook County, Illinois has one registered attorney for approximately every 114 residents. The UP, meanwhile, has one registered attorney for every 626 residents. And this crisis is expected to get worse. So join us as we discuss rural access to justice and the attorney shortage in rural America. Today on The Podvocate, we are speaking with Sam Larrabee from Upper Michigan Law. Sam, how are you today? Good. How are you, Lenny? Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Uh, So basically what we're exploring today is it's been described by some people in the industry as a rural attorney crisis, an access to justice crisis, a inability for people in rural or semi-rural areas to have access to not just competent legal advice, but access to some of the mechanisms that are more available in more metropolitan areas. Um, And before we dive into that, could you talk about your background a little bit? Yeah, so I'm from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan up here. I I grew up in a little town called Rapid River, um, unincorporated town, probably a population of about 4,000 people. I moved uh, down to Michigan State, went to college down there. I went to law school at DePaul in Chicago. And then I worked for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office for about six, seven years before moving back, back home up here and working with the firm I'm with. And when you talk about the Upper Peninsula, how would you describe that to somebody from Chicago? It's rural America, for sure. Um, A lot of... You know, farming, industrial, logging, mining were pretty much the bigger industry areas that, you know, developed that, that this community's, you know, built around. But it's, it's rural. In your upbringing, did you have any experience with people in law? Um, a local attorney up here is, you know, when I was in high school, um, I kind of followed him around, saw what he did. And, you know, he was, I kind of always knew I wanted to go into law. So that was in government, that kind of thing. Um, so I followed him around and enjoyed it. Went to, went to Michigan State, studied political science. I repped, you know, in Lansing at the Capitol there for a, for a state rep, enjoyed the government part of it. And yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with law when it's, you know, like, like most people, even in law school, quite frankly, I didn't know if I even wanted to finish law school. I didn't really enjoy, I worked for a few, few firms. I enjoyed the people I worked with. But the work wasn't, you know, wasn't what I thought it would be. Um, and it wasn't until I clerked with the state attorney's office going into my third year that, you know, I found something I enjoyed. I liked, I liked the trial work. And 
know, that was that was probably kept me kept me from graduating law school, kept me in the in the practice. So now was it because it was so different than what you witnessed working with the local attorney from home or what what sort of made you second guess what you were going into? I think it was just uh you know, and I was probably seventeen years old when I was following around the attorney here. It looked, you know, glitzy, glamorous, fun, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But I enjoyed the, you know, I always enjoyed like studying the law and, and that kind of thing. It wasn't until, you know, clerking during law school where you're working for, you're doing the billable hours thing, you know, the deadlines. And it's like, I'm not going to be stuck behind this desk here for the next <laughs> 20 years. This isn't, you know, this isn't up my alley. So that was kind of, you know, it was a rude awakening. And then it wasn't until, you know, I talked to a, a friend and he, he said, hey, we'll try, try getting in the state attorney's office, you know, doing some trial work. And you know, I enjoyed it. I liked it. Loved the people there. And I was fortunate enough to, um, to get an offer to work there pending me passing the bar exam after my third year or so. Now, what stood out to you, let's say transitioning from the UP to Lansing to Chicago, what did you observe as far as differences in cultures, shall we say, as you go from more of that rural environment to the more metropolitan. It, it was always a culture shock for me. It was a culture shock going from the Upper Peninsula of East Lansing and Michigan State. You just get used to, you know, population, the parking traffic, you know, whatever it is. And then even bigger adjustment going from East Lansing to Chicago. That was culture shock for me, you know. And I remember, you know, a lot of my, my friends and colleagues in Chicago that I worked with had always you know, they, they, I was always like the country boy. You know, I think they thought I had like, they thought I had like a Boston accent. I think it was. They didn't know where I was from because I probably lost some of my, you know, Upper Canadian accent by that point. And then when I moved back up home here, it's this complete culture shock again. You know, moving back, you're so used to the, the congestion, the traffic, everything. You know, you come back here, it's just quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes me a minute to get from my home to my office. Um, it's, you know, it is it's just culture shock back and forth. And then now, now they, up here, I'm a, I'm a city boy, <laughs> so I'm somewhere in the middle now. <laughs> so, so the the state's attorney's office. How many years did you work there? I left in, I think it was May of 2012. So about six years plus, you know, clerking there was not when I was a three L. And what kind of uh, what kind of cases did you focus on there? Um, you start off in. I was in child support enforcement. Was my first assignment. And then I was moved to the traffic division for, uh, I think, a couple of years. And then I was assigned to chief judge assignment, for, uh, Judge Beeble, for a, for a period before entering felony review. And felony review was the last assignment I was in down there before I left. Yeah. From there, what was the decision like to return back to the UP? Oh, it was a tough one, for sure. I mean, and a big part of it had to do with, obviously, I met my... You know, my, my wife, my wife is from up here, big family. Um, I'm from up here. I met her when I came back for a friend's wedding. That's how we met. And, you know, we did the long distance thing. We debated her moving down there. Um, me coming, there was an opportunity for me to come back up here with a small law firm. And quite honestly, it was just a matter of, you know, I'm part of that generation that I was just hammered with student loans. So there was undergrad law school loans. And it's tough to get, to get ahead in the city. You know, living in the city when, when you already basically have a mortgage over your head without, you know, without owning a home. So for me, it was just, you know, it was a couple of things. It was, you know, moving back 
for for my wife and then also trying to get ahead financially and you know i think i i'm happy with the decision i made it worked out good so now this this discussion that i want to have today uh a lot of it focuses on a 2014 study in the South Dakota Law Review, which showed that 2% of small law practices are in small towns and rural areas. And you said that you had an opportunity, you described it as a small office. Can you tell us more about that one? Well, my office? Yes. Yeah, there's so right now I'm one of four co-owners, partners in a law firm. We have four staff members. Um, my firm has been around for the founders of it probably about 50, almost 50 years now, maybe a little bit longer. Um, but our firm has always specialized in like social security disability appeals, workers' compensation, personal injury stuff. But we've always, you know, because you're practicing in a small community, you're still going to get, you know, you, there's still stuff you're going to handle, whether it's, you know, we do a couple of the attorneys in my office do divorce. We do a little bit of estate planning. And even some criminal defense as well, you know. The the same article discusses how um, about a fifth of the United States population lives in rural areas. So when you think about the dichotomy between, you know, so few law firms are focused in these rural areas, yet, you know, 20% of the population lives in these same areas spread over a larger footprint. What challenges do you see day to day as far as serving those kinds of communities? I think the bigger problem, I mean, it depends on what area of law you're, you're referring to. And I think the biggest problem and, and the judge you're going to have on here will probably agree with you is it's going to be representing the, you know, the criminal system. It's the, the people that need a criminal attorney. You know, up here, we don't have public defenders. We have, at least here in Delta County, we have a, a criminal appointment list where you have a, a handful of attorneys that go on this list and they get randomly appointed, you know, misdemeanor cases in district court or, or felonies in circuit court. Which stands in strong contrast to Cook County, which has one of the premier public defender systems in the nation. Correct. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's, it's a matter of funding, you know, there, I know the, the state's done stuff to increase, you know, what they can pay attorneys on that appointment list. But I think that's probably the biggest, you know, access to justice issue. I mean, as far as, and it depends on what kind of case people are looking for, too. I mean, certain things such as divorce or estate planning, that's, you know, fairly something local. So it's good if, you, you know, a rural attorney can make a practice and build it off just off of certain practices like that. Now it's areas like what we, what we do with personal injury. I mean, we're going to be competing with mega firms down in Detroit for, you know, car accidents and that kind of thing. And that's a whole other landscape that's been interesting, you know, as far as especially like Google ads and Google searches. And we could talk for you know days on that and how that's changing the landscape of you know, private practice. But mm -hmm. well, that's that's actually something I wanted to discuss as far as the role of technology and especially during this pandemic. Law schools across the nation they're now primarily all online right now. There's discussion of returning maybe in the fall, depending on how the vaccine rollout goes. But what has this, I guess, pandemic and lockdowns, especially in Michigan, which had quite a stringent lockdown. Uh, what has that effect had on a rural practice as far as you know, do your clients have access to the same technology? How has that shaped the past year? 
from from my little niche, I mean, what I specialize in is workers' compensation cases. It's an it's an administrative law um, practice, so we I deal with magistrates. I mean, there's one magistrate that covers the entire Upper Peninsula once a month, any hearings. So there's already a, a limited access to hearings up here compared to, say, downstate. Um, but those hearings have all been basically postponed, and it's been tough. Um, there's already a, an issue with even infrastructure in the UP. I mean, cell phone signal. There are people who live on, you know, northern, western, you know, parts of the Upper Peninsula have a very bad cell phone signal or don't have broadband internet yet. I have clients, honey, that, you know, I've had clients from Drummond Island to the top of the Keweenaw, and there are clients that I've represented for over a year in some cases, and I never met them in person. I talked to them on the phone. I could recognize their voice, you know, if I, if I saw them tomorrow, but it's been, you know, over the phone or mailing the paperwork, going through stuff, over, you know, that kind of thing. But I think that's probably the biggest for rural not just upper principle, rural America is probably broadband access. You know, once you have that, yeah, a lot of stuff can be done like this via Zoom or whatever. Um, our courts in, in Delta County have have implemented, you know, video conferencing and stuff like that. Um, I think most most courts have to some extent. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, you know, post-pandemic. Are they going to you know, because people are getting used to it now. They're seeing it's easy. I don't have to sit in the car for an hour to get over there. How much of that's going to change? It'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting as far as marketing goes too. You know, if these bigger law firms know that they can appear by Zoom 200 miles away, how's that going to change things? So it'll be it'll be interesting. There's pros and cons to it, obviously, with as technology changes. But it'll be interesting. Now, when you mention the larger firms, their ability to, as, as you mentioned, sort of start edging further and further into these areas that throughout all these articles have been described as underserved, is there a trade-off for when the larger firms do come out there versus having somebody that is local that actually understands the community, especially like you talk about big firms in Chicago or Detroit? we've already discussed like the differences black and white compared to those cities versus the UP. So is there a trade-off between that? I do. And I kind of, I kind of compare it with some of my clients to like the medical field, right? There's this perception that you want an attorney or a doctor from a big city, big hospital experience, whatever it is, but law is different than medicine. I mean, in the fact that you do have local procedures, you have attorneys that know the local judges, you know, so in that effect, I think there is an advantage to having a local attorney. But there's, like I said, there's always going to be areas of law where it wouldn't make sense to have an attorney from Detroit for your divorce, right? And people are just not going to, and they want somebody local. So I think it's kind of a, a practice area specific thing that we're going to be dealing with going forward. Uh, so just some statistics, and I shared this with you earlier, uh, just for the audience. For some sort of frame of reference, the national ratio of citizens, so regular, you know, lay people to an attorney, nationally, that's 247 people per attorney. Now, in the state of Michigan, the statistic is even better. It's only 214 individuals per attorney. And then when you look at some of the more populated counties, Oakland County, for example, that ratio decreases even more to 102 attorneys, or sorry, 102 people per attorney. 
And similarly in Kent County, which holds Grand Rapids, it's 208 people per attorney. So those are the the statistics of, you know, general areas. And that's pretty consistent throughout most suburban, urban, regular areas across America. However, the Upper Peninsula, that ratio increases to 626 individuals per attorney. And the argument is always, you know, well, you have to think about the number of corporations in the larger cities. There's corporate lawyers. There's things that happen in more urban areas that those those jobs just don't exist in a more rural environment. Um, you mentioned Delta County. That ratio is 639 individuals per attorney. But the statistic goes all the way up to Baraga County has 1,265 people per attorney. I mean, the the numbers, uh, Lucy County, 1,446 individuals per attorney. So have you seen how that statistic has become relevant or is this overblown? Is it just what I say? Like there's different corporate attorneys that come into play. I would say those those ratios are probably, there are far more people per attorney than, than even that. I mean, I was just driving down Main Street in Escanaba today after I dropped my boys up at school. And I can only, you know, Delta County says there's around 50 licensed attorneys. And that may be the case, but as far as how many of those are actually practicing, right? I can think of maybe 15, mm-hmm. like in Escanaba. And that could be, you know, there's probably a few more, but some of them are, you know, retired, no longer practicing. Some of them are judges. Some of them are, you know, prosecutors, whatever it might be. So it's, that number is, and I just think of the, the area I practice in workers' compensation, there are probably three people in the entire Upper Peninsula that routinely take on these cases. Um, and that's down to actually, you know, a dear friend of mine and colleague just passed away this past fall. So there's really two now that I can think of. So... You know, what's, I mean, that's, that's good for business, because, but it's bad for, bad for the population when you have limited, limited access to somebody that specializes in, in an area of law. Exactly. And especially when you consider, again, just the vastness of the Upper Peninsula as far as the geographical f- footprint that you're talking about. And you mentioned sort of like the, the hidden figures amongst these numbers, you know, prosecutors, judges. There's a tremendous number of tribal attorneys in the Upper Peninsula with the, the Native American population. There's, and then you have to think of, you know, there aren't a ton of businesses that would say that they're headquartered in the, in the Upper Peninsula compared to, say, Detroit or Grand Rapids, but there's still some. And so then you have to even consider, you know, the people that practice solely in, you know, corporate law or business law, things like that, which just makes the t- statistic even smaller. Yeah. And a, and a lot of those bigger businesses, many will, you know, they will go to the, the bigger firms down in, you know, Detroit, Lansing, Grand Rapids for their, for their corporate work. So that, that's, that's pretty common too. Now you mentioned your journey throughout, um, you know, the decision to go from Chicago back to the UP have, do you have knowledge of other individuals that have sort of taken that same path back into the back to the rural areas after experiencing more of the metro style? 
it's almost always somebody going back home. Um, I mean, I never thought I'd, I'd come back here, not because I didn't love it up here. I just didn't think that there would be an opportunity, you know, like so many of the people in my, my generation, you know, went away to school or, or went to the city for probably f- to find work, you know, to find jobs and law firms, whatever it might be. So the, the people that I know, I mean, we've tried to, you know, we, we could hire, we're looking to hire somebody right now because we, we have work, but who's going to, you know, who wants to travel up here and move back here and if they don't have any ties up here, you know? Right. So that, that's always going to be the biggest issue. I mean, I have friends from law school, you know, that I can think of a couple offhand that, you know, move back to their hometowns and they're, you know, doing similar, similar small practices like myself and they're, you know, they enjoy it. They're doing well for themselves and probably better off than they would have had they, you know, had they stayed in the city and, and worked as an associate for a bigger firm or whatever it might be. Now, when you think about the typical rural attorney, because I'm from not as rural of an area, but I'm still from a rural area in Michigan in Allegan County. And when I think of the attorneys that I've ever, you know, associated with or talked to from back home, there's a very specific demographic that I think of. It's, it's an older white guy. And so when you think of the typical uh, attorney, rural attorney, how does that demographic look in the UP? That, that's what we have a lot of up here. Um, and, you know, of those attorneys that I was, you know, thinking of the 15 people that I could think of, a lot of those attorneys have, you know, their retirement age or getting close to retirement age. They have one, possibly one foot out the door, you know, and it's going to be a, a bigger, a bigger problem as we go forward is who's going to come in and, and fill these spots. We've got to, you've got to, get people back into small, small areas to take over some of these practices. Yeah. It's, it's, I would say, you know, and we can all think of an attorney, uh, the older white guy, wherever it might be, but yeah, I agree with you. It's going to be an interesting issue. As far as trying to address this issue during the research building up to this episode, I've reached out to a couple different organizations, different associations that have recognized even the American Bar Association has recognized that this issue is present and it's been present for probably at least the last 10 years from your perspective how is this issue addressed uh the most effectively i think you have to create some type of incentive to get people to practice in these rural areas and i don't know it it really comes down to probably state bars governments, you know, funding, funding some type of incentive. I mean, you, you forwarded me that article on South Dakota. I think that's a great idea. You know, there's gotta be some type of incentive to get people back into these communities to, to represent people. As far as the, the South Dakota program, what they were doing is basically incentivizing spending five or six years in a rural community, basically fresh out of law school and another similar program the Illinois State Bar Association has a rural practice fellowship program, and they were providing stipends of, uh, say, $5,000 for spending a, a summer with um, a, a rural community. And then there's another track for new attorneys who offer them a $10,000 stipend if they spend their first year in, in another rural community. And Illinois, I mean, I mean, Chicago aside, there's vast swaths of Illinois that are just as rural, you know, rural farmland communities. 
But when you think about, you know, the notion of big law and how, you know, they're, I think, bonuses now are like $35,000 for a new associate at big law. The allure of that kind of financial safety net for new graduates, how can, you know, a a state bar offering $10,000 after the first year, how how does a student justify giving, you know, the proposition of something so lucrative? How do you justify that to return to sort of a rural area? Yeah, there are trade-offs, obviously. You know, I mean, cost of living in in rural, upper peninsula, rural Illinois, wherever it's going to be, is going to be a lot, a lot different than what you're paying for housing and everything in downtown Chicago. Um, you know, I took a, a, a slight pay cut to come back up here when I first started before I became partner. But I was able, you know, shockingly, I was, I was able to get ahead because transportation, housing, it's just... It's, there are benefits to it. Um, and also depending on what you want to do, what, what kind of lifestyle you want. If you, you're going to get that $35,000 bonus, but you're probably going to be working 80, 90 billable hours per week. Um, weekends, you know, like right now, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, I can make my own schedule. I can take time on the middle of my morning, do what I want with you. Um, there are There are certainly advantages to you know having your own practice and, and practicing in a rural area would you say that that sort of independence is one of the the strongest draws that could bring people to more of a rural setting absolutely um i couldn't imagine going back and working you know working in a big firm after what i've been doing for you know going on what eight nine ten years now um yeah i couldn't i couldn't do it anymore the autonomy the you get used to it you know for uh, an individual that might be interested in uh, more of a a rural setting, like what would prepare someone the best towards doing that kind of work? Would you encourage them to try to see themselves as just a broad general practitioner? Because I always think of, I mean, it, it's sort of outdated nowadays, but the small town family doctor that does everything from deliver babies to fixing broken bones. Is that where you see success? If someone, if a new, if a new graduate does want to go back to a rural setting, is that where you see the success or is it more of a specialization? I think law is becoming very specialized. It's really tough to, you know, let's say master of master of all trades or jack of all trades, master of none. The the law is, I don't care where you're at, what you're doing, it's become specialized. It's too hard to dabble in, you know, 10 different areas of law. I mean, you don't see doctors doing it and, and to keep up and to be competent in those specific areas of law, you, you need to specialize in, you know, one or, you know, a, a few, you know, a limited amount, but that, that's why you need more attorneys too. I mean, we have four attorneys and we're able to, we don't dabble in everything. We can't, you know, but we've, we prioritize what there's a need for up here and and that's what we we try to focus on and as far as how to prepare for it i mean that was the trial ad obviously trial you know trial skills that's universal that's going to help you no matter what you're going to do whether it's even if you're not going to be trying cases learn to think on your feet um communicate being persuasive that's going to help any attorney and that's why working for the state's attorney's office or if it's going to be a public defender that's 
that's great experience, you know, that's going to help you. I would also think, you know, a lot of what I do is, is business, you know, managing a business. Mm -hmm. I would say more than I do more managing this business than I do, you know, practicing law a lot of days. And, you know, that, that's a good background to, to have, you know, coming out of law school. The other thing is, is the one, another advantage I can think of is a lot of, if you're looking to cut your teeth, you know, in, in areas you probably wouldn't have access to in a, you know, in a city, you can come up here and you can do criminal work. There's, a, there's not going to be any shortage of, you know, judges that wouldn't want you to, you know, take on some felony appointments that you wouldn't be probably doing, you know, anywhere else, you know, in the city. So there is a way for you to cut your teeth and get trial experience, you know, in, in these rural areas. You mentioned cutting teeth. Have you seen individuals come straight from law school and go and start their own rural practice? Or is it more still the quote unquote apprentice period with another firm for a couple of years? Yeah, it's more for the most part. I mean, I haven't seen anybody up here since I've moved back really that came from law school. It's always been someone that, you know, like I said, had some ties up here, moved back, may have practiced somewhere else for a few years before moving back up here. But yeah, I mean, certainly you're going to want to have some type of apprenticeship, you know? Right, right, right. All right. With that, do you have any other guidance or suggestions for any students or resources that you think that they could look into if this is something that triggers an impulse in some way? Yeah, call me if you need a job. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Sam Larrabee, thank you so much for sitting in with the Podvocate today. Um, folks, if you do have any interest in a rural practice, of course, Upper Michigan Law, Sam Larrabee. Also, pretty much every state bar association has recognized that this is an issue that will continue to grow. As we discussed today, um, rural attorneys, they're retiring at a quicker rate than a lot of the other attorneys nationwide. And of course, when you think about the diversity in geographical locations, literally this situation arises anywhere from Alaska to Alabama. So I would just encourage anyone to reach out to their state bar associations to see what kind of programs they have. Uh, but with that, thank you, Mr. Larrabee. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for having me. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. For more information on resources for graduating students interested in seeking employment through a rural practice, please contact your state bar association or the American Bar Association. For more literature into this ongoing crisis, I suggest reading the Harvard Law and Policy Review article titled Legal Deserts, a Multi-State Perspective on Rural Access to Justice, written by UC Davis law professor Lisa R. Pruitt. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW a student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communication at Loyola University Chicago. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com or visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. Our senior editor is Radhika Sutherland. Our associate editors are Olivia Ashe, Emmett Harrington, Leanne Johnson, and Lenny Reinhardt. Our editor-in-chief is Matt Doran. Special thanks to Dean Michael Kaufman for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. Finally, good luck to the Loyola Ramblers men's basketball team as they continue another landmark season and face off against the Oregon State Beavers in the Sweet 16 round of the NCAA tournament. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate.